Chapter Three of Stand By for Mars. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sean O'Hara. Stand By for Mars by Carrie Rockwell. Chapter Three. I just can't understand it, Joan," said Captain Steve Strong, tossing the paper on his circular desk. "The psychographs of Corbett, Manning, and Astro fit together like gears, and yet." The Solar Guard officer suddenly rose and walked over to a huge window that filled the entire north wall of his office, a solid sheet of glass that extended from the high dome ceiling to the translucent flooring. Through the window he stared moodily down towards the grassy quadrangle, where at the moment several hundred cadets were marching in formation under a hot sun. And yet, continued Strong, every morning for the last three weeks I've got a report from McKenny about some sort of friction between them. I think it'll work out, Steve, answered the pretty girl in the uniform of the Solar Guard, seated in an easy chair on the other side of the desk. Joan Dale held the distinction of being the first woman ever admitted into the Solar Guard, in a capacity other than administrative work. Her experiments in atomic fissionables was the subject of a recent scientific symposium held on Mars. Over fifty of the leading scientists of the Solar Alliance had gathered to study her latest theory on hyperdrive, and had unanimously declared her ideas valid. She had been offered the chair as Master of Physics at the Academy as a result, giving her access to the finest laboratory in Triplanet Society. Now facing the problem of personality adjustment in Unit 42D, she sat across the desk from her childhood friend, Steve Strong, and frowned. What's happened this time? Manning, he paused. It seems to be all Manning. You mean he's more aggressive of the three? No, not necessarily. Corbett shows signs of being a number one spaceman, and that big cadet, Astro... Strong flashed a white smile that contrasted with his deep space tan. I don't think he could make a manual mistake on the power deck if he tried. You know, I actually saw him put an auxiliary rocket motor together blindfolded. The pretty scientist smiled. I could have told you that after one look at his classification tests. Oh. On the questions concerning the power deck operation, he was letter perfect. And on the others, astrogation and control deck. He just skimmed by. But even where the problem involved fuel, power, supply of energy... He offered some very practical answers to the problem. She smiled. Astro is just as much an artist on that power deck as Liddy Tamal doing Juliet in the stereos. Yes, he's strong. And Corbett is the same on the control deck. Good, instinctive intelligence. That boy soaks up knowledge like a sponge. Facile mind, quick to grasp the essentials. She smiled again. Seems to me I remember a few years back when a young lieutenant successfully put down a mutiny in space, and at his promotion to captain, the citation included the fact that he was quick to grasp the essentials. Strong grinned sheepishly. A routine flight to Titan had misfired into open rebellion by the crew. Using a trick picked up in ancient history books of sea-roving pirates in the 17th century, he had joined the mutiny, gained control of the ship, sought out the ringleaders, and restored discipline. And Manning, asked Strong, what about Manning? One of the hardest, brightest minds I've come across in the Academy. He has a brain like a steel trap. He never misses. Then do you think he's acting up because Corbett is a nominal head of the unit? Does he feel that he should be the command cadet in the control deck instead of Corbett? No, replied Dr. Dale. Not at all. I'm sure he intentionally missed problems about control deck and command in his classification test. He concentrated on astrogation, communications, and signal radar. He wanted to be assigned to the radar deck and he turned in the best paper I've ever read from a cadet to get the post. Strong threw up his hands. Then what is it? Here we have a unit, on paper at least, that could be number one, a good combination of brains, experience, and knowledge, everything that's needed. And what is the result? Friction! Suddenly a buzzer sounded, and on Steve Strong's desk a small teleceiver screen glowed into life. Gradually the stern face of Commander Walters emerged. 
sorry to disturb you, Steve. Can you spare me a minute? Of course, Commander, replied Strong. Is anything wrong? Very wrong, Steve. I've been looking over the daily performance reports on Unit 42D. Dr. Dale and I have just been discussing that situation, sir. A relieved expression passed over the Commander's face. Good. I wanted to get your opinion before I broke up the unit. No, sir, said Strong quickly. Don't do that. Oh? replied the Commander. On the screen, he could be seen settling back into his chair. And why not? Well, Joan, or Dr. Dale and myself, feel that the boys of Unit 42D make it potentially the best in the Academy, if they stay together, sir. Walters considered this for a moment, and then asked thoughtfully, Give me one good reason why the unit shouldn't be washed out. The Academy needs boys like these, sir, Steve answered flatly. Needs their intelligence, their experience. They may be a problem now, but if they're handled right, they'll turn out to be ace spacemen, they'll... The commander interrupted. You're pretty sold on them, aren't you, Steve? Yes, sir, I am. You know, tomorrow all units will be assigned to their personal instructors. Yes, sir. I've selected Lieutenant Volchek for this unit. He's tough and smart. I think he's just the man for the job. I don't agree, Steve. Volchek is a fine officer, and with any other unit there'd be no question. But I think we have a better man for the job. Whom do you suggest, sir? The commander leaned forward in his chair. You, Steve. Me? What do you think, Joan? I wanted to make the same suggestion, Commander, smiled Joan. But I didn't know if Steve really wanted the assignment. Well, what about it, Steve? asked the Commander. This is no reflection on your present work. But if you're so convinced that 42D is worth the trouble, then take them over and mold them into spacemen. Otherwise, I'll have to wash them out. Strong hesitated a moment. All right, sir. I'll do my best. On the screen, the stern lines in Commander Walter's face relaxed, and he smiled approvingly. Thanks, Steve, he said softly. I was hoping you'd say that. Keep me posted. The screen blacked out abruptly, and Captain Strong turned to Joan Dale, a troubled frown wrinkling his brow. Huh, I really walked into that one, didn't I? He muttered. It isn't going to be easy, Steve, she replied. Easy? He snorted and walked over to the window to stare blankly at the quadrangle before. I'd almost rather try landing on the hot side of Mercury. It'd be icy compared to this situation. You can do it, Steve. I know you can. Joan moved to his side to place a reassuring hand on his arm. The Solar Guard officer didn't answer immediately. He kept on staring at the Academy grounds and buildings spread out before him. When he finally spoke, his voice rang with determination. I've got to do it, Joan. I've got to whip those boys into a unit. Not only for their sakes, but for the sake of the Academy. End of Chapter 3